Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of 28 Days Later. I am your host, Sophie, joined not this week by our co-host, Hannah. In Hannah's seat, we have my very dear friend, Sarah. How are you, Sarah? I am doing great. I'm very so, excited to be here. Good. I should say our dear friend, Hannah, will be furious if she listens to this and realizes that I didn't uh, <laughs> say that you were both of our friend. Um, so Sarah is joining us on the inaugural episode of our very special October series. So as you guys that listen to the podcast may know, Hannah has just started graduate school and her schedule has been really hectic and stressful. So to allow her some time to settle into that through the month of October, we're going to be releasing episodes where I talk to friends of ours that would not necessarily classify themselves as horror fans, but are ladies um, and have them pick a horror movie and talk to me about it. So Sarah, I thought of you right away because we've sometimes texted about <laughs> uh, ridiculous horror films that you've seen. And I'm, I have to say, we'll have to talk about the fact that you didn't pick whatever that weird movie is that you told me about. Oh yeah. Which I can't even remember what that was. Pinata oh, the, Bay or the whatever it's called. <laughs> yes. Pinata Island, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Because that one's not genuinely scary. I wanted to. I wanted to stay in the, like the spooky uh, nature of, of the podcast. So that's perfect. Well, it's I respect camp. your like dedication to the form. That's that's important. <laughs> Thank you. So um, Sarah and I know each other because back in 2010, that makes me feel so old. Mm -hmm. um, Sarah and I both did a year-long uh, intentional living program in New Orleans where we went through the Episcopal Church down there and worked at different worked with different nonprofits in New Orleans. Um, Sarah most notably became one of my favorite people that I ever met in New Orleans because she shared my uh, stress coping mechanism of like, I'm really stressed out, I need to go eat fast food. And if you don't if you've never spent a lot of time in New Orleans, you may not realize that your fast food options are limited within New Orleans proper. Like, you gotta go to Metairie. Oh yeah, <laughs> so, yes, yeah. Sarah and I made many a pilgrimage to Metairie to just like get Raisin Cane's or something. Uh -huh. Yes, and the thing about New Orleans is even the fast food is better down there. Mm-hmm, so yeah. true. Yeah. Um, I have to say that, uh, I think, Sarah, you already know this, but my new apartment is like two blocks from a Cane's, and it's been really dangerous for me uh, because when I have a bad day, which happens a lot these days, like I'm just stressed and I don't know why. <laughs> it's COVID. Um, I really want to go to Cane's, but my partner is not here during the week. He has our vehicle and is in Columbia, Missouri doing his PhD. And the canes that is nearby us, the dining room is closed. So you can only get canes if you go through the drive-thru, which I can't because Jeremy has our car. That's tough, yes. It's really sad. <laughs> See, I'm, so that makes me feel a little better. My, um, I'm right in uh, uh, the heart of St. Paul, Minnesota, and um, the only canes are like way out in the suburbs, kind of New Orleans situation, which mm -hmm. is good. But I, I do have a car, so sometimes I will make the, I will make the pilgrimage. <laughs> you know, sometimes you gotta do it, it's man. True. Yeah, you gotta do it. There is a Popeyes. It's not, honestly, it's not even that far. But because I live in an area of Kansas City where I don't usually have to drive to get anything, like I can, unless I'm feeling super lazy, I can usually walk to the pharmacy, the grocery store, the liquor store, the library, like most things I need are within a very easy walking distance. And the closest Popeyes to us is not, it's it's like a nine minute drive. I, I blanch, it's so difficult. Um, but a couple of my dear girlfriends and I uh, had like a girls night pre-COVID where we all went and got the Popeyes chicken sandwich and ate them together and had wine. So we did one over Zoom a little while ago and uh, I was like trying to time it perfectly so that my sandwich would still be hot when we started, but it made me late to Zoom. So, oh. what are you gonna do? Love a Popeyes chicken sandwich. God, it's so good. Yeah. Did you see they are now making Dutch chocolate beignets? I did see that. <laughs> oh my gosh! I think I've sorted that away and like see it but don't retain this information it's not good for you but, i'm just saying yeah. there's a possibility that we might be seeing each other in person socially distanced in a few weeks and yes. 
Iowa City probably has a Popeyes. I so bet they do. We should just think about that. Uh, anyway, I haven't had dinner, so before I make myself too hungry, Sarah, <laughs> what movie did you pick? And tell us why you picked it. So I picked It Follows. Um, I I wanted a, a movie that I um, that was going to genuinely creep me out and scare me. That was not. Um, like incredible amounts of gore and body horror. Um, so yeah, so I picked that one and I, I, um, I think I, I knew the, the general plot obviously. Um, and I think I, I like just the simplicity of it. I, I really, um, I, I think, yeah, the, the, the monster or the, the thing, the evil thing in at the, the scary thing at the heart of this, it's a very simple premise and it is, yet it is extremely unsettling. So, um, yeah, I was, I picked it for that reason and I was, I was not disappointed. Oh, well, I'm glad. So Sarah, before we get into our thoughts and feelings uh, about this movie, why don't you give us a brief synopsis for any of our listeners who haven't seen It Follows? Sure. So a young woman uh, named Jay, is that right? Jay, yes, yes uh, is uh dating a guy they uh have sex for the first time in his car and immediately afterwards he drugs her and she wakes up in a wheelchair and he tells her that now that they've had sex he has passed on this kind of like this curse to her and this thing is going to follow her that's the title and so the thing it, wa- it walks very slowly. It only walks. It can look like anyone, including people you know. And so what she, what he advises her to do is you need to find someone else to sleep with and pass it on to them. And so the movie is basically Jay and her friends um, figuring out um, how to uh, deal with this, this thing that's, that's, um, stalking her do i do you want me to tell the ending do we normally uh we'll get there okay. we will definitely get there that was a beautiful synopsis it was very succinct and also very detailed well done. oh thank you um so tell me sarah give me like a brief one or two sentences on sort of your overall impressions of this movie because you had not seen it before is that correct, correct? yeah okay. first time um i i really liked it i have been for me the way I know if I really like a movie and I think it's really good is if I'm still thinking about it a few days later, like the themes and the meaning. And I definitely still am. Um, I would say for a horror movie, probably the other mark of a good horror movie is like, am I scared to go to sleep that night? Mm-hmm. And I was. <laughs> so, yes. so on both of those counts, browsing success. Nice. I uh, famously within my partnership and household uh jeremy and i saw this in theaters when it came out um back in 2013 or 14 i don't remember um but it's been several years and i remember vividly that i had to go to the i had to pee really bad the whole movie and when the movie was over i like ran out of the theater to go to the bathroom and then i was terrified to be in the public bathroom because I like got in the stall and I was like, the first thing that guy said was not to go anywhere that only has one exit. This bathroom only has one exit. And somebody walked into the bathroom and I was like holding my breath, waiting for them to walk past my stall. I was like so stressed out. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that reminds me of another reason I picked the movie is because I, I was like, okay, I'm I'm willing to be scared. Um, I we might talk about this later. I do not normally like to do horror, but I also knew I am not really going out right now. <laughs> I'm not really around people. So I was like, you know, the thing that is like so scary, I probably will not be in this situation. Um, sure. The risk this. level is lower right exactly. now. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so Sarah, you may not have known this when you picked this movie, but this is one of my all-time favorite horror movies. I did not know that. Um, It definitely falls within my top five, if not my top three. And recently for Bloody Good Horror, the site that I occasionally write for, we were asked to do our top 
top 10 or top 20, top 25 of the last decade maybe was with a number. I don't remember, but I put this as my number one. Like I just, I love this movie. I have seen it so many times and it's a movie that strikes me in that every time I watch it, there's more to notice. This movie has so many layers and yeah. there's so much happening both in the text and in the subtext that it's just a very rich viewing experience. The other thing about this movie um, that just makes me never get tired of watching it is it's just so beautiful to yeah. look at. Like there are very few frames of this movie that if you just paused it and printed it out on canvas, I wouldn't hang in my house. Yep. I agree you know? that the visual and the soundtrack I think are really, um, they're both um, really good and atmospheric. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think the, the um, choice to, especially with the visuals, make everything so pretty. And in most cases, that juxtaposition between like how normal and nice things look and mm -hmm. how, what, what is actually happening is, um, I think adds to how unsettling uh, the movie is. Yeah. And it's like, it, sort of to your point, it almost has, a lot of the visuals have almost this kind of like ethereal nature to them. They're, um, I'm thinking particularly of a couple, a couple images come to mind. There's this one really beautiful shot when Jay is getting ready to go on her date and she's sort of getting dressed in the mirror and her whole room has this very soft pink glow mm -hmm. and it's sort of very slowly panning in on her getting ready for her date. And it's this really beautiful shot. Like she looks beautiful. The set is really gorgeous and all the colors are really just very, very, everything is washed in this kind of rosy color. But then as it pans in on her face, I mean, she doesn't look that happy. Um, she just sort of looks, I, I, it's just like a very interesting juxtaposition that yeah. it, it feels very dreamlike. And as we pull into her face, it feels more and more real and maybe more scary. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's another shot um, that during this viewing today, I was trying to think like, if I was going to get a tattoo of, from this movie, what would it be? Because there aren't really that many super specific visuals you could get because of how ethereal the movie is. But one of my favorite shots is after she and Jeff have had sex and she's laying in the back of his car mm -hmm. with her upper body out the front of the window and her feet out the yes. back of the or out the back of the uh, back seat and she's kind of trailing her hand and playing with this weed that has flowered that's growing out of the asphalt and it's such a beautiful shot and she's talking about being a kid and thinking about when you grow up and how exciting that's going to be and and her sort of like soliloquy ends with her saying you know and now I am grown up and like what where do we even go? Like I used to dream about driving around in cars with cute boys. Where do we even go? Mm -hmm. um, and that, that's, that speech of hers is sort of cut short by him drugging her. Yeah. Um, it's just, it does a really good job, I think, to your point of balancing those two tones really mm -hmm. effectively. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned tattoos because I have a tattoo connection with this movie my Tell me more. my one tattoo that I have is a quote from The Idiot by Dostoevsky, which Holy is the cow. I know, which is the book that um, is it her sister or her friend? It's their friend Yara. Yes, that Yara is reading on her phone that I want the shell phone. I really want. Mm -hmm. I googled to see if um, that thing really existed. It does not. It does not. Um, someone can make a killing if they made those. Anyway, she reads from and quotes several quotes during the um, during the film are from the idiot. So I was I was um, there's like a little connection for me there. That is so cool, Sarah. I know. I really so one one of the things that I was um, pleasantly surprised by was how I literary this movie was. So there's all the idiot references when she the first time that she sees the thing she's in class and she mm -hmm. sees the thing walking towards her that um the professor is reading uh the love song of alfred j Prufrock by t.s Eliot, mm -hmm. which is um kind of a classic modernist poem um so which is all about um 
it's got some body horror in it, all about alienation and um, dread. So I, I really appreciate, as an English major, I really appreciated the, the illusions. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that scene. So one of the things I was really excited to um, to sort of pick apart with you as we're watching this is part of why I love this movie so much is that it is so referential to um, John Carpenter's horror films from the 70s and 80s, which you have not seen, I presume. So things like Halloween and The Fog in particular. Yeah. Um, but the score, the like heavy synth score mm-hmm. is very, very evocative of the kind of scores that John Carpenter scored all his own movies. Um, and tonally, they sound very similar. But he also was very well known for doing these like long tracking shots that this movie has so many beautiful examples of. And that scene in the classroom is a direct homage to Halloween. Okay. Um, so the first time that... Jamie Lee Curtis, it might not be the first time because I think she sees Michael, she doesn't see him, but she sees the car he's driving earlier in the movie. But the first time she sees him, he is parked outside of her classroom and he's standing next to the car, just staring at her through the window. And she's in the back of class, kind of like Jay looking out the window. And her teacher is talking about fate and how (laughs) you can't escape fate. Uh And I am getting goosebumps just talking about it. It's such, it's like such a, amazing scene that I love so much. And so the idea that uh, David Robert Mitchell, who did It Follows, was able... I mean, a lot of horror films have sort of repurposed that scene because it's so famous. But sure, this one feels sort of the truest in its nature to mm-hmm. what John Carpenter was doing, especially because the text is so um, directly tied to sort of the the idea that, like, we're all just marching towards death yes. <laughs> and, and we can't stop it. Yeah. Or I guess more specifically, death is marching Marching, towards us. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Um, Um, I wanted to read you a quote sort of to that point. So I read three different articles from the website Montages, which I will share in the show notes. Um, I told Sarah that I had just rewatched It Follows a few weeks ago. And so this time rewatching it, I was sort of reading these very dense articles about some of the... um, themes and elements as far as color and different motifs that the movie uses while I watched. And the first of the three articles is called Evil Threatens Suburbia. And there's a quote in the article that I really love that says, seen in a way it seems to encourage, it follows is an utterly sad and bleak film. It lingers on open spaces devoid of human beings, on decay and indescribable anxiety, and is dominated by the monotony of the many recurring motifs and devices. While death is the shape of the follower, sorry, while death in the shape of the follower constantly creeps closer to us, the film emphasizes that our human condition is unchangeable, Um, which I really love because I think a lot of folks, I don't think this is wrong necessarily, but I think a lot of folks read this film in the manner that the thing that follows is literally an allegory for like a sexually transmitted infection. Yeah. And I think... Sure. But I think that for me, it's so much more effective when you think of the thing that's following them as sort of being like the reality of adulthood and not so much like a very literal like thing they need to get a vaccine for. This is Mm -hmm. they have done they have committed this act that has taken them from one point of their transitional phase as a teenager to the other point. And this thing is now creeping up behind them in a way that they're aware of. Yeah. Yeah. That that like the trade off. So if sex is kind of your entry into adulthood, um, then the trade-off for that is um, mortality. Is you're, you, are, you have to confront and deal with um, the fact of your death. I had not thought of this until you said that. So um, uh, some listeners may know the um, French euphemism for an orgasm is mm-hmm. the little death. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare makes a lot of puns um, with that, so I th- I think that's this the the connection between sex and death is um, is all over the place. I think. Yeah, and I mean not to mention the fact that uh, I'm not saying that this concern doesn't exist for men. I'm sure it does, but um, if you are someone who uh, has a vagina and particularly has ovaries and a uterus. Uh, 
oftentimes the transition into being a sexually active human being also means a transition into just perpetually being afraid that you might be pregnant mm -hmm. when you are not ready to be pregnant. Yep. And so you are facing not only your own mortality, but the reality that your body has now reached a point where you can create a new life, which obviously inherently brings about this, the awareness of your own mortality. Um, and I think this movie does some interesting things around childhood and especially around childhood and relationship to parents that I didn't notice as much in previous um, viewings. But one of the things that you brought up earlier that I think I had seen but not read in previous viewings is I love that the first time that Jay sees the follower um, by herself, it's like a very frail old woman. I think like we don't in any other instance see the follower be especially elderly, but the mm -hmm. idea that it is the potentiality of an older version of herself that's sort of like frail and hobbling mm. and wearing a knee brace um, yeah. is really effective. Because that, that feels to me like if you needed any proof that this movie is not just about safe sex. Sure, sure. It's that, it's that iteration of her being followed. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the, um, the playing with like STIs or, you know, there's the horror trope of like the you know, you, you have sex and then you die. It's like mm -hmm. death is like being killed is the punishment for having sex. Um, there's, I think there's, like you said earlier, there's so many layers. The parents thing I think is really interesting because the very first time we see the follower, it's in the form of um, Greg, I think is his real name, Greg's mother. Mm -hmm. Um when no not greg um the oh jeff jeff thank you yeah so jeff the the guy that um jay sleeps with at the very beginning that starts all this um the when they both see it together for the first time it looks like his mom oh when, i didn't realize that but it yeah, does yeah yeah um so that's where like when she opened when his real mom opens the door later there's like a little pause mm -hmm. um on her face and um and then, of course, later on, one of the other characters gets killed by the follower, and it's in the form of his mother. Mm -hmm. And he's killed in a very Ugh, sexual manner, yes. so that's so upsetting. It is very upsetting. Um, and then at the very end, um, we see um, the, like the final form that we see the follower in is Jay's father. Mm -hmm. um, so it... I, I I had been thinking like what what what's going on with parents and children here? It's interesting to me that we never see Jay's mother. She's never we we hear we don't see her face. We, we do see not, like the back of her head or the exactly. top of her head. Yeah, yeah. And there's like a there's maybe a or she's spoken about. Um, she has no. I don't. I don't know that we hear her voice ever. Do we? We do. Oh, okay. We in a couple instances. Um, but we don't really know anything about her. And right. she, we're, we only like overhear her sort of in the background, either mm. on the phone or talking to her yeah. friend. Yep. So, and then there's this, there's a shot of her bedroom. I think she's asleep and we see, I think there's a bottle of wine mm -hmm. on the dresser. So I think there's like a, maybe a suggestion that, um, and we also don't know where Jay's, Jay's father is not in the picture. We mm -hmm. don't know where he is. So there's a suggestion of like, there's something going on with, um, I think there's a suggestion that something's going on with her mom being pretty absent from, mm -hmm. from their lives, um, unavailable. And, um, and yet these parents show up in the form of, <laughs> it's, it's, um, you know, one thing about, um, the, one way of thinking about it maybe is this transition to adulthood when you have sex and the, um, there's sort of a psychological betrayal or abandonment of your family of origin mm -hmm. and how I, I wonder what like a Freudian reading of this would say, you know, that, that, um, that the follower, one way of thinking about it is a manifestation of, um, the guilt that they feel mm -hmm. about the betrayal of, of their 
parents and and thus this thing is going to come and and take its revenge yeah it's funny because um previous viewings of this film especially in the beginning um i noticed that the that most of the parents were largely absent and for the most part i read that as a further sort of uh homage to john carpenter because in halloween especially um we see annie's father uh, who's the sheriff, but we don't meet anyone else's uh, parents and there aren't really any adults. Like there just aren't adults around for the most mm-hmm. part. The movie centers around teenagers and young kids. And I think one could watch it and wonder like, where are all the adults? How right. is this being allowed to happen? Where are the adults? And so I always read it that way. And then watching it again this time and sort of paying more close attention one of the things that the article called out that I had never noticed because I had recognized the followers. So we're going to, especially going forward, we're going to heavily spoil the end of this movie. So if you haven't seen it, I would recommend you watch it before you continue, but that's your own choice. Um, Once we see the follower as her father, I recognized him right away. I had never recognized until this article pointed it out that when she sees the follower on top of her house and it's like a naked man, we see that guy earlier in a photograph in the living room in which it looks like maybe that's her grandfather. We see like an older couple with a young blonde girl who I think we're supposed to understand is Jay. Um, so again, like there, the, there's even yeah. broader levels of the, the, the parents. And one thing that really struck out to me on this viewing is there's the scene where Paul, who's one of their friends and Jay are in the living room talking about this time where they found a bunch of pornography magazines when they were kids. And because they were little, they just genuinely didn't understand what they were looking at. And so they're saying like, we were so stupid. We were just looking at them in the front yard because we didn't realize we weren't (laughs) supposed to have them. Um, And Jay says, we didn't know how bad it was, which again feels like talking about this consequence that is now following her that she didn't anticipate. Mm. And they talk about the fact that they were in Greg's front yard when that happened and Greg's mom found them and took the magazines away and was really angry, which then makes the fact that Greg dies by, or Greg is murdered very sexually by the follower in the image of his mom. Yeah. Is like, again, sort of speaks to that idea that your relationship with your parents fundamentally changes once you have, are an adult and have had sex. It just Mm -hmm. makes your relationship with your parents different. Yeah. Um, And I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I do too. That's a great, I did not catch that about the older, the guy on the roof. Um, I had, and again, I had seen this movie probably 15 times and I never realized that's Uh who it was. Um, While we're on the topic of them being kids, like other things I noticed on this watch through are, that the first time that the follower comes to their house and Jay runs away, she runs to the park, which is like such a beautiful, she's just like trying to return to a place where she felt safe when she was a kid. And similarly, when they go to the house that Jeff was renting basically to like squat and try to hide from this thing, he's covered all the windows in comic books. Like he's just Uh, ripped pages out of comic books and covered all the windows, which was like a beautiful, it just looks pretty because it's such vibrant colors. It kind of makes like stained glass. Um, But again, it's like they're trying to hide in childhood and adulthood is like, nope, I can see you in there. (laughs) That is, I love that. That, that, those details, um, if I, I might rewatch it at some point. (laughs) Well, um, I normally try not to expose myself but um but it's worth it I think to catch those things I was thinking earlier um the there there are no um wasted shots like camera shots visually Mm -hmm. um in the movie I think the same thing is true for the script and the dialogue Mm -hmm. that it feels like every line um is has some um, is doing something it's advanced you know it's it's has some significance um there's no throwaway lines and so I was thinking about um a, another layer is this um the suburb 
versus city Mm -hmm. um, dichotomy that I think is, I'm still trying to, to, to figure out what, how I would describe it or what, what's going on there. But you mentioned earlier the quote that you read, there are um, repeatedly these um, scenes, these, these tracking shots in the, from the car of the devastation and the, um, um, the, um, I'm trying to think of the technical word for what's happening in, um, what's happened in Detroit with the abandoned buildings yeah, and with blight. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of blighted buildings. Um, and the contrast between all of these kids who live in the suburbs and at the very end when they're headed to like the final showdown, which is going to be at a public pool within Detroit, um, having this conversation where they remember their parents warning them about they're not allowed to go inside eight mile inside the boundary of Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I think again, there's this, um, this idea of um, parents and safety and childhood on one side versus um, in the suburbs on one side versus the city, which is um, maybe in this way identified with danger, adulthood, mm-hmm. sex, death. And um, I, don't, I don't know what the director would say if this were a political commentary. Like I'm, I'm interested in how, there's a quote I saw earlier this year about how the suburbs in America are parasitic, um, mm-hmm. have become at least parasitic. They were, and we know from like the way they were started, they were um, predominantly and often a product of white flight and of redlining and segregation. So there's this racial component to it as well, um, especially in Detroit. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in how maybe um, what the commentary there is or what the idea there is. And if the, um, if the suburbs, if the people from the suburbs are, are in some way, there's some kind of, um, this is a, a moral judgment on them. Mm. Like the, 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 what they're dealing with in the follower is somehow a, a moral consequence of, um, suburbia. Sure. Yeah. I think like the fact that this film, I think this film would look and feel a lot different if it weren't set in Detroit, right? Like Detroit is sort of its own character in this movie. And I think people say that a lot about settings for books and movies, but it feels very, very true in this, in this movie. Um, the, the set of articles I read talked a lot. Um, this doesn't really answer your question because I think they are addressing it from a purely aesthetic standpoint. But they sort of talked about the fact that it, because of the way that Detroit has been impacted by redlining and then by the boom of industry and then industries fleeing um, and has become so blighted, especially in the more uh, urban areas, I think... They, the article talks a lot about the idea that one of the really big motifs in this movie is decay and sort of the idea that like by becoming aware of her own mortality, Jay has started to see that decay and that that is what showing the suburbs versus the city means. Mm. And I think that's part of it. But I think you're right that that line has always struck me um because it feels like such a particular thing for a parent to say, like, I mean, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, so there is a city there, but it's not, the city of Wilmington is not a place that I ever would have gone growing up because there wasn't anything downtown except offices and bars, neither of which would have appealed to me as a teenager. Um, But it does feel like, especially because uh, the director is a, 
native of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Like it feels, I would be, I would with you, I'd be curious to hear sort of how he feels about sort of the political connotations of the way that those areas are shot. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, because you talked about the tracking shots from the car, another, th- I'm, I feel like I will have to share all these articles because it just made me watch the movie really differently and notice a lot of things. One of the things it talked about, because there are all these really beautiful tracking shots of them walking or Jay looking around. They have a couple of those gorgeous shots where the camera kind of does a 360, which are really effective. Um, but there are a lot of shots of driving. Yeah. And what this article pointed out is that what happens to your brain seeing those shots because it's often like a just down a straight road and there's no intersections and it's like there's no way to go like the only way to go is forward because there aren't any other there are literally no other options and even if you're not consciously thinking of that as a viewer it's sort of reinforcing that now that these um now that these circumstances have been set into motion, there's no way to take it back and mm-hmm. you can't sort of turn off of this right. road. There's And that, I think, ultimately is how, what the ending of the movie feels like to me. The very final scene yeah. feels like an acceptance of the fact that you can't go backwards and there's no, like, detour that you can take. You're just sort of on this trajectory. So that is really interesting because i think it's so fundamental to the like the the conceit of of the movie that i hadn't thought about it but what the characters have to they lit right they have to go forward you are you are required to always be moving forward right and not looking back or going back Mm -hmm. um yeah so that that's really interesting that brings up so here's another layer um I think there you could interpret this um, as uh, in terms of trauma and abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, how I think there are um, so the, so the idea that um, you have to um, pass it on, or well, you have to decide whether you're gonna <laughs> right pass right. it on and, to someone else, and um, that. Um, because Jay has been violated in this way, um, sex now becomes, um, uh, required or there's, um, there's this, the scene where I think Greg, um, she's in the hospital. Jay has had a car accident. She's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. One of the characters, agrees to um sleep with her to like relieve the burden from her and um she's very clearly um she kind of turns her head aside and just looks off and stares off into the distance which you know felt like um dissociation and mm-hmm. um yeah just so just thinking about um the the trauma and the, and then there's a shot of her on the beach um where she sees off in the distance there's a boat with three guys on it and she takes off her clothes and starts walking into the water and in yeah. that moment what occurred to me is that she she sort of looks like the follower at that point like she the way she's walking slowly ahead Mm-hmm. felt to me like that that part of what is so horrifying about this movie is that you not only are you like a victim but you get sucked into this um this cycle mm-hmm. uh, where um yeah you you um have to i think most people in that situation honestly would probably at some point decide to, to try to pass it off. Um, I think like seeing the, the very first scene in the movie, we see the consequences of not like, it's very graphic. Um, yeah. What happens when the thing gets you. So yeah, that, yeah, exactly. And I, I, it's interesting because I have always, I totally agree with you and I've always thought 
that of course it's convenient for the plot, but I've always liked, like's not the right word, but I've always appreciated that we sort of see throughout this movie, we see people grapple with the consequences of this in different ways, right? So the first girl we see seems like she's sort of reached a point where she can't run from it anymore and she doesn't know what to do and she sort of just succumbs to it. Um, and then uh, obviously later in the film, we see Paul considering like passing it off to a sex worker, um, which is like maybe one of the darkest scenes yeah. in the entire movie. Yep. Um, but when Jeff uh, gives gives it to Jay, it's so horrifying when he drugs her. Mm. And for, and I think I always forget how horrifying that scene is because immediately afterward, he's like, I did that so I could tell you what's happening and like tell you the rules. And it's so interesting because I really vacillate between thinking he was doing a kind thing and thinking he was just being self-serving and like if she understands it takes more of the pressure off of him because she can like actively try to avoid it. And so when Jay sort of gives up and, and we assume, I mean, we don't see it happen, but we can, we can uh, intimate that she sort of passes this off to at least one of those guys and probably doesn't tell them what's happening. Um, like it's such a heartbreaking scene, but like you said, I don't know that any of us could say that we definitely wouldn't right. do that. Well, so. I think this is, it's, they have clearly thought this all the way through because my, my initial thought was, well, I mean, sacrifice yourself, but it gets explained very early on. I think Jeff explains if you die, the then it reverses then the the whatever it is follows it goes back along the chain yep and yep. so either either way like the only way you can possibly um stop someone anyone from dying is to pass it to someone and hope that they pass it on and pass it on so um which again is that like so the only solution here is infinite <laughs> this this just um infinite string of um passing it on which right. again i think is that it's it's the that movement forward that like mm -hmm. you're compelled to move forward and it's this um it's sort of this endless task that people have to take on it's very bleak yeah, it, it is for sure. Um, while we're talking about how bleak this movie is, I want to talk about one of the only moments of levity in this movie, mm. which like makes me laugh every time, which is when they finally find Jeff and they go to his actual home and they're all like, clearly the mom was like, oh, sure, come in. And they're all sitting in the backyard drinking soda and like talking about this curse that he gave her by drugging her. and not, I mean, not by drugging her, excuse me, but by having sex with her, and yes, she consented to the sex, but she did not consent to taking part in this thing that he knew was going to happen to her. And while they're <laughs> talking, there's this girl, like this movie makes you so paranoid that I anytime know. you see a person walking, right, you're terrified. Yes. And you see this girl kind of walking towards them and the music is getting louder and louder and more and more stressful. And then he goes, can you guys see that girl? And they're all like. Yeah. And the girl looks at him like, what a, you know, like, what the hell? Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. It's, it's great. So yes. Funny. I think we, yeah, you need that moment at that point. It's great. Mm -hmm. um, I want to know, I want to talk about one other uh, symbol in this movie that I like don't 100% know what it means, but I want to talk about it and see if you had thoughts, which is that water plays a very important role in this movie. There is so much water in this movie. The first girl mm. that dies goes to Lake Michigan and dies next to Lake Michigan. And then we have, we are introduced to Jay while she's floating in the above ground pool in the backyard. She goes to Lake Michigan with Jeff right before they sleep together. Um, 
there is a there are like three paintings of rivers and oceans and stuff in the in her home they're just like everywhere the movie that they are watching when the follower comes into the house the movie that she and paul are watching is like an old sci-fi movie and the people are like on a boat on the ocean um and then obviously we have they go to greg's lake house they go to the the final showdown is in this this uh pool so there's so much water in this movie and what it always makes me think of and again i'm not certain that this is the intention but this is certainly what it means for me is um i remember in high school that when we did our segment in probably 10th grade on shakespeare and we read romeo and juliet we watched like the old 60s romeo and juliet and then we watched the uh baz Luhrmann romeo plus juliet and i wrote a paper about water in that movie and how it like acts as a safe place for them like the first time they see each other they're like talking through the fish tank and then he jumps out her window and hides in the pool and so i was like okay so it's obviously not safety here because they are almost always in danger when water is there um but again it sort of speak to me it sort of feels like it speaks to the like transitional phase that they're all in because like water can often represent like transition and the liminal space um and i love that in that way um it's just like completely surrounding them like they're not on an island or on a beach it's not like we're seeing water all the time but they are always like next to the lake or in the pool or they're drinking water or um or in the scene where paul where jay finally sleeps with paul um it's raining outside right yes. where it's like even though you think you've escaped and you think like it's this is still present mm. um and i'm wondering if that was something that you picked up on or if you had any thoughts about it i love that i did know i noticed you know there's um the pool that she has there's one shot where she looks outside and the pool has been drained her out in and i thought i wonder what that's about mm -hmm. um i love the idea of this liminal space that they're in and this point of transition that that can be what the what the water is about um yeah and so um i i think too um water has always been um kind of a paradoxical thing for humans we need it to live it can kill us um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it is both um in um christian tradition um i don't i'm betting you can track this in other religious um systems too but in christian tradition water is both like this the kind of it can symbolize death so if you think about baptism part of what's happening there is you when you like are go into the water you're going into this like realm of death but it is also cleansing and um and a, and a source of life so there's this real um paradox and i wonder if part of what is going on is that it, that the water is paradoxical in the same way that um, just the larger human condition is and the big themes of this movie where sex is both um, liberating mm -hmm. and um, can be um, destructive. It Adulthood is freedom and um, knowledge of the inevitability of death um so there's yeah i think there is maybe something to that sarah that was beautiful thanks now here's what i really want to know if you had to pick one scene from this movie that like really scared you <laughs> what would be your pick hmm great question um i would have to say I think the um, the Greg scene where um, she runs into the house 
it's very unsettling to watch him break into his own house. The, the, so the, the follower shows up to Greg's house looking like Greg and breaks into the house. And then when Jay follows it into the house and runs upstairs, it's so creepy that she's, I mean, it's weird that you can be that close to mm-hmm. it but it's not looking for you, so you're you're kind of safe. But right, and at that point, it's in the form of his mother in a nightgown, and it's like looking at her and like pounding on Greg's door. Oh God, that was the part that freaked me out the most. I think is um, yeah. just how malevolent um, that 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 scene was. Definitely, yeah. and huge kudos to that actor because the way the guy that plays Greg though he's been in a couple other horror movies since this and I think I I think he's great in everything he was even good in this absolute well I shouldn't say he was good but he was the most watchable part of this like really atrocious horror movie called Beneath that I watched for Tooth BGH a couple months ago that was absolutely garbage (laughs) um but the way that he gets in the house because he can't open the door as he breaks the window. And the way he climbs into the window is like so inhuman. It's such good physicality that he just kind of like, he doesn't use his arms at all. He just like flops into the window and then you see his feet disappear. Very creepy. I hate it. I hate it. Yep. That whole scene is very unsettling. The one that I remember being the scariest for me when we saw this in theaters, um, and again, like a lot of this is scary, and this movie I think does a really good job of having both very effective jump scares where the follower like shows up and mm-hmm. also just building good tension. So it's doing both really well. The scene for me that is always the scariest is when they've gone to Greg's lake house and they're all sitting at the beach. And you see Yara walking yes. up behind them. Oh. And you're like, oh, naturally they're all going to hang out. But then it cuts to a different angle where the water is showing and Yara floats into frame. Yes. And you're like, that's not her. Oh, yeah. But Jay has her back to it so she can't see it. And the other ones can't see it because it's following Jay. Yeah. And that scene scares me so bad every time <laughs> because it's just like so, so horrifying. And... and it's the kind of thing that like um, rewards a careful viewer mm-hmm. because if you're not paying attention, it may not register yeah. to you that those are not supposed to be the same person. And so right. like as soon as you see Yara in her bathing suit and she's not wearing white, which is what the follower is almost always wearing, um, it like it like took the breath out of me. I was yeah. so freaked out. Yeah, agreed. I, I'm sure we're almost at time it just dawned on me that the follower is almost always in white, which is again, almost always in white or nude. I think the only time that we see the follower not wearing exclusively white or naked is the one that looks like a battered woman who's like urinating Mm -hmm. in Jay's kitchen. She has a white bra, but like a pink skirt. But I think without, with the exception of her, I think the rest of them are always wearing white and I, or they're nude. And this was the first time I have to give kudos to those articles again, because I hadn't noticed that the follower that breaks in the boathouse at the beach is the creepy little boy in her neighborhood. That's always watching her, which I did not, I had never caught. Um, and that the follower that follows her from the boathouse is the girl from the beginning who died. Oh, the one who like walks after her as she gets in the car and is backing away. I totally thought that was still Yara. Mm-mm. Oh my gosh. Oof, that's creepy. Yeah. I, what I would, the one thing I would love to ask David Robert Mitchell about this movie, which seems like a silly thing to ask is the opening sequence, which is just like a, is an effective short film all by itself. Like you could just release that opening sequence by itself. And it's like a beautifully shot and scored uh, complete story but she runs out of the house and down the street and then the camera and the camera follows her and then she kind of runs wide 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 across the other side of the street and then back into the house and mm-hmm. the camera does a big circle the actress is wearing red stilettos and like satin white satin bloomers mm-hmm. and a very flowy white tank top like it looks like a cross between it looks like what a teenager would wear if they were trying to wear 
lingerie mm-hmm. and like be sexy. Yep. Um, so it's just really interesting because that that it's so silly, but that outfit like always stands out to me mm-hmm. as like, is it supposed to be that she's in lingerie or is it just like what she would normally wear? Because her dad doesn't seem to respond to her outfit. Although to be fair, she's acting very erratically. So there's yeah. other stuff that he's responding to. Right. But, um, but I'm always really uh, just interested in that choice of clothing. The article I read also talked quite a bit about the use of red in this movie, mm. um, sort of being a symbol of like warning and danger. Um, and so her having, cause like, because all of the colors in this movie are so muted, like the red always very much stands out. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there anything else from the film that we did not cover that you wanted to talk about? Well, I, it's, I, it sounds like it's funny because to the very end, I guess it's an mm-hmm. ambiguous ending. Um, yes. I wonder if we're on the same page about if we had to decide either way what it, so at the very at the end of the swimming pool, it looks like they have killed they have successfully killed the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it does look that way. Yes, the pool they mm-hmm. shoot it in the head, the pool fills with blood, they go home, then Jay and Paul have sex and then the the last spoiler the last shot of the film is them walking on the sidewalk hand in hand and behind them we see a figure walking mm-hmm. following them so <laughs> the question is did did the death take um, mm-hmm. <laughs> did it stick um what do you what do you think uh, so i think if I'm being totally honest, I think that ultimately for me my and my enjoyment of the film, it doesn't matter. Mm. But I think they did not succeed in killing it. I think the... And honestly, again, I think the way that the ending is shot... So in the ending of the film, when they're walking, they're both wearing almost matching outfits. Like Jay has a white dress and a dark leather jacket. And Paul has a white hoodie and dark jeans and a dark jacket. Um, Which is interesting because no one in this movie really wears white except the follower. Mm -hmm. And so um, to me, it feels a little bit like by them wearing the white and having these matching outfits, they've sort of accepted that like that thing will always be a part of them, whether the person behind them is actually the follower or just another person on the sidewalk their experience with the follower will always be a part of them and of their relationship. I think it's interesting because we never, we never really see them as being like super happy and cutesy. There's something like kind of depressing about their relationship where it feels like at least partially it is a relationship of function and it's, it's a relationship that was like forged in trauma. Um, So ultimately, I think it doesn't matter if they killed the thing or not, but um, we did see the follower get shot in the head previously, and like we saw blood, um, but it got back up. And so, yes, at the swimming pool, they shoot it in the head twice, and the second time they shoot it in the head, it's in the water and it goes down and we don't see it resurface and Jay sees the pool fill with blood. Um, but I suspect that it just, that just meant that it took longer for it mm-hmm. to recover, come back around. Yeah. 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 That's, that's my, that would be, if I had to decide either way, that would be my read too, which is, I like to be optimistic, but we're, it's like a it's a nightmare world <laughs> that that, it, that we're in. So, um, oh, I will say one more thing. Um, <laughs> have, do you watch um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Have you? Have you yes. Seen? So yes. there is a part because I I when I finished this I was like I handled that pretty well. Um, I like I said I do not watch a lot of horror, um, so I was pleasantly surprised that I felt pretty good had a little bit of um uh a little bit of a hard time going to sleep that night um 
but I remembered this scene from Kimmy Schmidt where she and the um, the veteran that she briefly dates are talking. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're both survivors of um, of trauma. They probably have like post traumatic stress stuff, and um, and she's there's some line about like. Do you want to, we can get together and laugh about what other people find scary. Um, And I thought, you know, the world has been pretty awful (laughs) lately. And I feel like, I feel like my, that my bar for anxiety and horror has really been raised. So yeah, yeah. it's really funny because um, people ask me all the time, Either they say, oh, I could never watch horror. I get scared too easily. To which my response is like, I am the biggest wimp you've ever met. The only reason I can tolerate any horror now is like more of a conditioning thing than anything else. And even now, stuff scares me real bad. Um, But the other thing is when people who know me and know that I'm a person who like suffers from anxiety and I'm super jumpy and I startle easy and they're like, how can you watch horror? And it's interesting because there is actually uh, research out there that folks who suffer from anxiety, people who like horror, are 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 likely to overlap with folks who suffer from anxiety. And for me personally, um, the way I try to describe it to people is like anxiety is this thing that is a part of my life that I don't have a lot of control over. Like I've learned tools to help sort of maintain my mental health. But as someone who has generalized anxiety disorder and suffers from panic attacks, like sometimes it just feels like it could sneak up at any moment. Uh-huh. And because I'm anxious, I'm, I have like so many random scenarios that I'm afraid of. Um, and so for me, like I find horror to be very cathartic because it allows me to experience those stress responses in an, in an environment that's really safe that yeah. I have control over. And when it's over, I'm like, oh, I did it. Like I was really scared mm-hmm. and now I'm fine. So like starting a few years ago, I used to always say to folks, like I like horror movies, but I would never do a haunted house because I don't like, I don't want to like experience it. I don't want people near me. Yeah. Um, and I've actually gotten really into doing haunted houses. Like I'll do like one or two every Halloween. And yes, I attach myself to Jeremy like a human barnacle and it's not fun for him. But like the rush that I have afterwards and also just the feeling of like that was really scary and uncomfortable, but now it's over and yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. Is like a really, uh, I think can be a very positive thing, at least in my experience. Yeah. No, that I think that makes sense. Yep. So I have two questions for you, Sarah. The first one is uh, Hannah and I have this highly scientific well-calibrated system for reviewing our films which is on a scale of one to ten bloody marys nope one to five see how see how calibrated we are (laughs) one to five bloody marys how would you rate it follows so let's do that question first okay i'm gonna give it a five yeah oh my goodness yep i think it's that's stunning yeah like the every piece of the film i think um is really high high quality it's really good well, that makes me very happy. I'm going to also do uh, five out of five, five, five out of five Bloody Marys. I'm drinking wine, as we discussed, <laughs> if you can't tell by my diminishing ability to speak. Um, my second question that I'm only asking during this very special uh, mini series we're doing in October is, do you think you're going to watch any more horror movies mm. after you made it successfully through It Follows? I, you know, I... I think if, if there are some modern classics like It Follows that I haven't seen, I I do feel like now that I've dipped my toe back into the horror world, I feel a little less anxious about like totally avoiding it. So yeah, I think I'd you be You guys can't see me over here, but I'm doing a little happy dance. Sophie's happy. Um, yes. Yeah. So that's semi- very exciting to me. Yeah. Ugh. It's just, you know, horror is my favorite thing. It's just... <laughs> I love it so much. And frankly, there aren't enough women who watch it and talk about it. So if you ever want to join the club, uh, we love, you know, we love more friends. Um, Thank you. So 
Sarah, do you want to share our In Ladyer news this week since you found it and brought it to the show? Hot, hot off the presses because I didn't do my research before we started recording. Sure. Yeah, I am going to pull this up. Okay, I've got I've got the headline. So um, I saw just today that um, the so the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, is expanding yet again. There are going to be a bunch of um, Disney Plus shows apparently, um, and one of them is going to be Miss Marvel. And they just announced that the um, the main character, Miss Marvel is going to be, um, I'm just looking at this article. So Kamala Khan, a Pakistani-American teen based in New Jersey. Um, it's going to be Marvel's first Muslim character to star in her own show. And um, the, uh, the actress that they just um, tapped for this is uh, Iman Vellani. So she's, uh, she's a newcomer, fresh face to... Um, Hollywood and she is I believe um, also Muslim so um, I just think in terms of representation and telling lots of different stories that feels really exciting to me it is really exciting it's sad that we still live in a world where we have to explain to people why it's important that you have actors portraying characters who can understand their experience and have lived their experience. Like let's stop having straight people play trans people. Mm. Like let's stop having like straight cis men play trans women. That's weird. And I don't like it. Like this is super exciting. And I, and I had not heard about this. So Sarah, thank you for bringing it to the show. Um, I pulled up her Wikipedia page. Um, she is a Canadian actress and her parents are um, Muslim immigrants from Pakistan. And I saw that, uh, one of my favorite humans in the entire world, uh, Kumail Nanjiani, oh. is very excited. And uh, he tweeted, I just saw they cast Miss Marvel and legit got teary-eyed. Congratulations, Iman Vellani. Your work is going to mean so much to so many people, myself included. I can't wait. So. Yay. That just makes me so happy. Me too. Um, so, yeah. You know, I feel like the last several weeks our in ladyer news has been like a little a little down um you know we tried for a while there to like do really like cool fun different stuff but the reality is the world is a hard place right now yeah um so pay attention to that but also remember that sometimes there's good news and that's really exciting A little, a little behind the curtains for the listeners. As soon as I, I was like, Sarah, do you have any in ladyer news? Because all I can think of is Melania Trump hating Christmas. And I don't want to talk about that because it's stupid and fuck. Um, yeah. So thank you, Sarah, for coming in in the clutch so we can talk about I, Melania. Normally, I am not anyone's source for like positive, upbeat news. I'm, <laughs> I am far too online for that. But um, I'm happy to I'm happy to deliver as needed. Well, this seems like maybe the most appropriate episode to say, dear listeners, wear your damn mask, but also Mm. always pee after sex. (laughs) Two crucial pieces of public health um, information. Okay, and now we're going to clank invisible glasses over Zoom and try to do it synced up. I have a real glass. Are you ready? Ready. Clink!